listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Eight years ago, at this right around this time of year, I went sledding in, um, in northern or here in British Columbia. We were still living in Alberta at the time, and I went with a group of guys sledding in the mountains, and uh, it was just an amazing experience. It was in the Sycamus Revelstoke area, and it was quite the experience with just incredible views, incredible snow. It was very challenging. It was a lot of work. Uh, going with those sleds up into the mountains and, and maneuvering through the snow and, and different things like that. Um, and, and yeah, getting stuck in a tree. Uh, that wasn't very exciting, having to get out of that sort of thing. And, and, and yet the whole time I was very cautious as I was doing it because when you have to put on these avalanche beacons, these things that in case you get swept up in an avalanche, there's something that's telling me this just is, doesn't seem quite right. Or when you go blasting into a tree, you know, or something like this, and it's, it, it was just a very interesting experience and so on day two that we went on this venture um, into the mountains we went into a region known as Owl's Head and uh, we went up into this area up high in the mountain area and there is a pass between two mountains at the very at the very top of these mountains and it was called Skinny Ridge and indeed it was extremely skinny and, and uh, it was very, with, with 200 foot drops at least on either side, and that morning the snow had blown in such a beautiful way that it does in the mountains, that it made a nice peak that came along, and the guy that was leading our group came up to me, he slowed down, and he says, Meldon, you stay right behind me, stay in my tracks, don't go to the left, don't go to the right, you gotta stay right there, just follow me, and we're gonna get through this. And so we go over this skinny ridge. Now, here's a picture. I didn't take it because I was too terrified to take it. I got this from, from, from YouTube, actually, from, from the internet. You can see on the left-hand side just where this, you know, just, just you could see what's going on here. On the right-hand side, there was no track there. I mean, there was, was very little left there. And on that side, there would also be a great drop. And so it was one of those things where I was holding on for dear life. I was following that guy in front of me. And, and there was a little part of me that almost it was like I was getting the Tourette's or something. Of, uh, of, the, uh, of the steering column where a part of me just wanted to go. I, I don't know why. It was just like, ah, this is crazy. When we got back home to Alberta and people heard that on my second day of sledding that I went on Skinny Ridge, they were like amazed and thinking, why in the world would you do that? They even questioned the guy who led our trip saying, why would you take Lutzer on his second day sledding like this in the mountains on something like this? And he says, because there was avalanche warnings in the other areas, he said, I knew on the other side of this ridge, there would be amazing snow. It would be great snow that, no, that very few people go into, and there's no risk of avalanche, and we would have a great day riding. And at the end of the day, that same path would lead us home. And it was. I mean, just even looking at the beautiful picture, I think we have the last one there of what this actually looked like, just up there, just enjoying safety and enjoying freedom and enjoying this great snow. You know what, I tell you this story because there's basically three paths, approaches, or options to living the Christian life. Two of the paths lead to disaster. One path leads to freedom and joy and victory. The one side, if we were to put this in a diagram, the one side you would have legalism and on the other side you would have license. Legalism says do the right thing, 
It's very religious. It's very filled with a lot of do's and don'ts. It makes you look good in front of others. It makes you look at times better than others. But it basically boils down to pride. And it works. Well, kind of. On the surface, it looks like you're very spiritual. But on the inward parts of you, it leads to despair. Because you can never do enough. You're always looking over your shoulder. You're looking behind. You're looking ahead. It's kind of like drinking a cup of cold, refreshing water, but it's ocean water, salt water. And so you're drinking it, and it's cold, and it's refreshing, but it never truly satisfies. You need to just keep drinking because you just keep going. That's legalism. The other side, license, says, I'm free. I'm free in Christ. I can do whatever I want. It's a greasy or a cheap grace, and I can get forgiveness. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission. I know what God's word says, but I know he also will forgive me. That's cheap grace. It's, I'll do what's comfortable, what I think for me, and it really basically denies the authority of God in his word. Both of these are similar to Skinny Ridge, that either one side leads to disaster, the other side will also lead to disaster and danger. But the third path, the third path is what we want to talk about today. It is the gospel. The gospel says, here is Christ. Look at him. Follow him. Keep your eyes on him. It's the narrow road. It's not easy. It requires, just like going over Skinny Ridge, along Skinny Ridge, constant attention because there is a pull one way or another in our lives But the benefits are beyond compare. It leads to a life of freedom, of joy, of true purpose and true meaning. And at the end of our lives, it will lead us home. That is pursuing living out the gospel in every area of our lives. And that is what we've been talking about in this series since the new year, about being authentic, about being real, authentic living in a fake world. Come on, let's get real. And basically we're talking about let's get real about the gospel. Let's get real in God's word, in prayer. Two weeks ago we talked about humility, how God rushes towards the humble and he stands in opposition towards the proud. read this a quote this week from Jim Cimbala, pastor of a church in New York City, the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and he said, God is attracted to weakness. He can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. When we come before God with a needy heart, he rushes towards us. Isn't that good news? That's about, that, that's living real. That's living authentically. God, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. And you know what I truly believe about you folks here? You folks of Harvest Bible Chapel and, and uh, something that I, I believe in my heart of hearts that you have come here today. And the reason why you are here and the reason why you are a part of this church or checking out this church, church is because you do not want status quo. You just don't want to go through the spiritual motions. I believe that in your heart of hearts, you don't want that. Maybe you're settling for that in your life right now, but down deep, you're wanting more. You're wanting an authentic, real faith. You're not satisfied with just same old, same old going through the motions. 
You want more. I know I want more. I want more and more of the gospel in my life. I want more of God's power, more of his presence, more of his joy, more of his victory. Is that true in your own life? I believe that for many of you, you would say, yes, that's what I desire. That's what I would want. Together, we want to glorify God in our lives. We want to glorify God in this city, as a church, in this region, in our province, in our nation. We want to see his glory. We want to see revival. We want to see a working of God. We live in a world, think about this. This, this statement I heard last week has just continued to, I keep thinking through this. We live in a world that is constantly saying yes to everything. Think about it. I mean, they're even looking at saying yes to Donald Trump to be the president of the United States. We are saying yes to everything. I mean, you look sexually, you see marriage, you see all of this. Yes, yes, yes. The only thing we're saying no to is God. The only thing we're saying no to is the word. The only person we're saying no to is Jesus. That's our world. That is our society. But that's oftentimes the way that we live as well. We nickel and dime our lives spiritually. And we see that within the life of the church. And that's why I believe in, in Canada, in so many ways, we see the light, the candle of, of God's blessing, the light of the truth being diminished in many of our churches today. We want more. We want to see his glory. We want to see revival. And I believe that, and, and I believe that many of you would also agree there's a gospel deficit in our city, within our churches, in our, in our nation. You can never have enough gospel. You cannot ever have enough gospel-focused, centered, Bible-believing churches in our city or in our region, right? You can't have enough of those. You can never have too much gospel. You can never have too much freedom or forgiveness. You can never have enough salvations, right? Would you agree with that? We have our work to do. God has called us into his work but the seriousness, though, that we can fall into in with good hearts, good desire, a good track record of working hard is the serious danger of spiritual slippage that we are all prone to. And even though we may choose that middle path of the gospel that I'm talking about, there is a, a pull towards one way or the other. And that is why we keep our eyes on Jesus. That's why at the end of our service today, we're going to take time and we are going to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We're going to follow an instruction that he told us to do in remembering his broken body and his shed blood. In Luke chapter 17, where we're going to look at in a moment, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he starts out in verse 1 and he says, temptations to sin are sure to come. And he's saying, be careful. There are landmines that you can step onto, and it can end very, very badly for us personally or for those around us if we step on these landmines. And in the first 10 verses, he shares four of these landmines. We're just going to look at the first three very quickly, but they all have to do, bottom line, they have to do with pride. In the first one, in the first two verses, Jesus warns about living a reckless life. Living for ourselves, not thinking of those around us, that we could be, by how we are exercising our life, our freedom, that we could be causing others into areas of sin or areas of error. And so he tells them, consider others, especially the weaker, the younger ones, the younger brothers and sisters around you. And so Jesus is saying, watch your lives closely. That's humility. Putting the concerns of others ahead of our own. The second 
warning that Jesus gives here to his disciples in verses 3 and 4, Jesus is, is teaching that forgiveness has no limits. The mark of an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who is ready to display forgiveness over and over. The third story that Jesus tells, or the third point here is a parable that he tells about the mustard seed, which teaches about humble dependence on God. Oh Lord, I can't. Lord, I just have a little bit of faith, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to depend on you. And as we do that, you watch that faith grow, and you see what God ends up doing with our little mustard seeds of faith. Again, humility, recognizing our dependency on God. I encourage you to write this down. Real humility will lead to total availability. Real humility will lead to total availability. It's simply being obedient. It's the sin of self-importance that can be so dangerous. Self-admiration, comparing ourselves with others, that itch that will enter into each one of our lives to be praised, to be thanked. And this passage, in starting in verse 7, is all about dying to those expectations and serving with willing obedience, with gospel-centered obedience. And so we're going to look here in verse 7. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And the first thing we see here in this passage is that gospel obedience flows from understanding the goodness of God. Here we see two people in this parable. We see the master owner and we see the servant or the slave, as some translations will put it. We'll call him a slave. The word servant or slave in the Greek is the word doulos, which has a very important meaning. Now, it can have a negative connotation, and oftentimes, soon as we hear the word slave, we think of it in a very negative way. But it can all, as it can be very demeaning, it can just be absolutely um, mean and uncaring, but... All of this would depend on what kind of a master you would have. In this context, Jesus is speaking about a slave, a servant here as a position of honor. Someone who has been highly valued, highly trusted, entrusted with the masters, uh, entrusted with everything from the master. You see, this master has purchased this slave at a great cost. He sees the value of this servant and treats him in a, a, a very loving and a very caring way, and yet in a very firm way. The servant understands the love and the goodness from his master, and the master, his response to his, or, or the servant's response to his master is one of simple obedience. The servant slave sees the responsibility set before him is a privilege and an honor. To be a servant, slave of Jesus Christ, folks here today, I want to remind you, it's a great honor. If you are in Christ, we are slaves to him. That is a place of honor. You see, Jesus is not a master like a, a mean master that we may have in our minds 
He loves us. He cares for us. Serving Jesus is not like human slavery. Serving ourselves, our own egos, our own pride, that's slavery. But serving Jesus isn't. It's liberation. Listen to this. Only in giving ourselves completely to Jesus, who is our master, can we avoid being enslaved to anything else. If Jesus Christ is our master and we're 100% committed to him, we're staying on that road, we're staying on that narrow road, and we're keeping our eyes fixed on him, there's way less danger of being ensnared by anything else. Paul often referred to himself as a slave, as a bond slave, bond servant of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, he reminds us that we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We've been redeemed. We are, we are privileged sons and daughters, servants of the Most High God. And what was the price that he redeemed us with? The precious blood of his own son. God's own son shed his blood for our freedom. The gospel, this gospel obedience flows from the understanding of the goodness of God. Has God been good to you? Would you agree God has been good to you in your life? He's been good, he's been faithful. I mean, if God did nothing else for you and for me for the rest of our lives, and just knowing that he has saved us from an eternity in hell, that would be reason enough to serve him with full-on commitment, knowing what he is sa has saved us from and what he has in store for us. But he just hasn't done that. He has gone far beyond that. This morning at our stop, drop, and prayer time, we read from Psalm 105, or 103. Encourage you to write that down and to read that. Where it talks about how forget not all of his benefits, who's redeemed our life from the pit and has crowned us. We are treasured. There are so many benefits. And, and last week I asked you to, to even in the weekly email, just to even send back a reply to me about ways that God has been good to you. What has God done in your life? Do you see that goodness in, in your life? And, and, and I love some of the responses that I got. Well, all the responses, they were great. And, 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 and I've added a number of things here, but some of these are, are experiences, the way that you've experienced God's goodness. Someone said God's provision. Rent was provided this month, praise God. Others have said, a spiritual family. God has provided me with a spiritual family, with brothers and sisters I can learn and walk with and grow with. Has God provided for you in your life? Ways that you don't even at times are aware of he has provided for us. His protection. We all know different times in our lives we can look back and see where God has protected. Colin and Irene have the story of one of their granddaughters who was in a very near serious accident, except by God's protection that, um, that things didn't end in a very tragic, tragic way. That just happened recently. Someone else responded, that they were driving down the highway towards Big White. This was about a month or so ago, and, and all of a sudden this vehicle was coming, it was slipping on some ice, coming right towards them, and then somehow the things got righted, and, and they just narrowly missed being in an accident. And, and, and their first response when the slippage was happening was shouting out to God in prayer. And they know that God somehow just, it was just a miraculous way that, that God just delivered from them. Have you known God's protection in your life? Have you known God's peace 
his guidance. You didn't know which way to turn, and then God made it so clear as you turned to him. Have you known his healing? There are people in this room have experienced God's healing physically, emotionally, spiritually, in relationships. This is a good, good father, as we were singing about. He is good. He loves us. He, he, he is a good master. He provides us with forgiveness over and over and over again. As a church, we've received so much from our good father. Bringing people along, the right people at the right time, rolling up their sleeves to be a part of the work. He's given us locations to meet in, an office now that we get to be a part of and, and, and get to, to, to be able to work in and, and function out of. So thankful for that. We have a loving, supporting, sending church who, who love us and, and, and a family of Harvest Bible chapels that, that are standing together with one another. We, we're in a great family, a great family of God. God is so good. He gives and he gives and he gives. That's our master. That is the one who is in control of our lives. But there's such a great danger that so oftentimes, and especially in the world we're living in today, that we oftentimes treat, treat ourselves as the master and God is our slave. And we, the, by the way that we pray, the way that we expect certain things from God, we may think that God is like a slot machine or, or you know what, like one of those little... Um, well, you could coin-operated machines. You put the money in and you should get something out. Hey, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm spending this time here serving you. I'm doing this. Okay, spit something out, God. That's the wrong way to be thinking about it. We are the servant. And our response to him is willing obedience. Just doing whatever he asks us to do. Remember, we aren't working. We, nothing we do to gain, we can do to gain our salvation. Trying to gain a better position or a better standing in God's heart. No, the work of Christ has been done. We can't lose our place in the heart of God. We can't improve our place in the heart of God. We serve out of a response of obedience, of thankfulness and gratefulness for all that he has done. Gospel obedience flows from the understanding of the goodness of God and the master and the slave relationship here shows this. That the servant was here as an unworthy servant. He knew his standing. He knew what his life was like and how the master redeemed him and now he's been called into duty for the master. And so willing obedience also though recognizes there is work to do and sometimes it's hard. Point number two. Willing obedience or gospel obedience recognizes there is work to do and sometimes it is hard. Notice the servant here in this parable. He comes in after a hard, long day of work out in the fields, plowing, keeping care of the sheep. And the master, as he comes in, doesn't greet his, his servant with a glass of iced tea and say, oh, come on in, put your feet up, you know, go take a nice cool shower and, and, and take the, the rest of the day off. He says, no, come on in. Would you get cleaned up a little bit? Put on some, some, some other clothing, you know, a little stinky. You know, put on some clean clothes and make me dinner. Give me my dinner. And that, that sounds so harsh. It just sounds kind of, you know, but the servant was simply responding and doing what was required of him and he was willingly obedient. Brothers and sisters here today, if you are in Christ, he calls us to mission. He calls us into active duty for him. And sometimes the work is hard. We've been working, we've been striving, and then there's still more work to do. 
Sometimes it's hard and it's difficult. But here at Harvest, we, as Shayon mentioned in the announcements with, with Harvest Essentials, but one of the things that, that you hear around the Harvest Circle here is, is, is a quality disciple is somebody who worships Christ, who walks with Christ, and works for Christ. Does all three of those things. All three are vital. It's willing obedience, willing to do whatever is asked of us. And I can't tell you what willing obedience, what your duty is. You have to figure that out with the Lord. And just in the same way, you can't tell me what willing obedience looks like for me. We can sometimes think that we have a good idea for each other, but ultimately that's between you and the Lord. And then in love that we may have those conversations and, and we, we talk and we assign duties, but, but ultimately that is your choice. It, but never should it be, well, you know what, you know what, Melda, I'm going to think about this duty thing. I'm going to think about this serving the Lord thing, you know. No, you don't need to think about it. You just need to do it. That's what we're called to. Now, what you do, that may take a little bit, but it's, I'm willing to do whatever. I'm an unworthy servant. I'm just willing to do whatever the master would want. And our master is our Heavenly Father. Every one of us, we're commanded to serve. Commanded to serve our master. It's not about serving our own interest, our family's interest. We can spend so much time so concentrated on that. But it's also the interest of others. Philippians 2 tells us that. We're not just supposed to take care of our own little world, but we are to take care of the interests of others. Oh, may we see that in everything we do. As we do it in the name of Jesus Christ, as we do it for the master and for his glory, there's kingdom value to it. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 24, Jesus even says, even when a cup of cold water is given in my name, you're doing it as a service unto God. You're doing it for him. We obediently serve. But you know what? Honestly, oftentimes we don't see the fruit. We don't see the fruit right away. We don't see the immediate return. The fruit takes a long time. It's kind of an interesting stage right now as you drive around the Okanagan and you see the orchards. You see a lot of work, a lot of pruning going on, a lot of branches getting cut off. And you don't see the fruit. It's not going to start up tomorrow, but they're getting it ready. And then when the harvest comes, we enjoy it. It's great. But then what happens? Winter comes again. Not to discourage you, but winter will happen again. More pruning. But that pruning gets ready for more fruitfulness. And so we see this going on, but oftentimes in the work that we do, those pruners right now, those people that are out just pruning away, we've seen them in uh, dealing with the grapes, we've seen them in a cherry orchard near our place, they're working it out. They're not seeing the results right now, but in July, in September, October, they're going to see the fruitfulness, they're going to see what happens from that work that they're doing. And when we obediently serve, we are joining ourselves to the only thing that will last for time and eternity. Think about it. When we're serving Jesus, it's the only thing that will last. This past week, just humbled and blessed by those who have come to serve in, in helping in areas of our church offices and getting that ready. Just even a few pictures of, of that, of just, you know, it's some painting and removing of junk. Um, a lot of that junk disappeared just by casting it ad. We see kind of, you see on the left-hand side there, you see an area for a meeting space and that's getting cleared up and ready for us to be able to, to have prayer nights and, and different harvest essentials and different things held there. We see this Friday a load of, of, of 
desk items, office items that were brought from Don and Marla Lee's garage who stored them two years ago. For two years, they've been stored up there. And just look at how beautiful this is looking. I mean, the guys on the left, well, they're kind of beautiful. Uh, but, you know, they're blow-drying a, a, a bookshelf. You know, I mean, have you ever seen guys blow-dry a bookshelf? Well, that's what they were kind of doing. But, uh, you know, I mean, just, just willing to do. And you think, okay, so how does that have eternal benefit? When we are doing work like that for the Lord, it has eternal benefit. Already this week in some of the meetings and some of the sessions that I've been able to have in that office area, not having to fight in co- or be in coffee shops or fight for a room to book a room at, at a certain location, but to be able to come in and have a meeting and to be able to have confidentiality in order to be able to share God's word and to speak God's truth into the lives of people. What a blessing. Thank you. That has eternal value. When we look after kids and harvest kids, it's not babysitting. That has eternal value. Because parents can come in here and, 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 and be free of their kids for a little while and be able to be under the teaching of God's word, to be able to worship and lift high the name of Jesus together. Kids get to have God's word instilled into their hearts. It has eternal value. Bringing after-service snacks, helping with set up and take down. When we do it in the name of Jesus, when we're extending ourselves for the sake of others, we're simply doing our duty, we're doing what God has called us to do. It has eternal ramifications. It's huge. So thank you. But keep going. Don't stop. Simply, we're unworthy servants willing to do whatever the master asks asks of us to do. Now I know that um, this takes on different forms to people. Even last Sunday I talked to a man whose wife is gravely ill, not expected to live very long. This is a couple who loves Jesus. They live in Vernon, and, and this is a very difficult time for them. And he said, we're trying to understand how we can seek God's glory and understand God's glory in the midst of all of this. And even last Sunday as I talked to him in the lobby, he, he shared, he said, you know what though, he said, my wife's faith is, is coming out to those that are caring for her in the hospital, in the hospice area. They're seeing a love for Jesus and they're asking questions. It's making a difference. Here she's taking some of her final breaths. She's working for Christ. She's not keeping it to herself. She's letting the life of Christ flow out of her. And they see that there's something different. That has eternal value in the pain and the suffering and, and, and in what they're going through, the sadness and, and the uncertainty of, of a relatively young couple, young family with, with Young grandparents they are. They still have a lot of years ahead of them. And yet they are glorifying God even right where they're at right now. We're unworthy servants. Doing what the master asks. And they are speaking for Christ. They're working for Christ even in this kind of a life's difficult times. Now I know in a lot of ways I'm preaching to the choir. You guys get this. You know this. You're doing it. That's why you signed up to be part of a church plant. But you know what? Sometimes the choir can sound right and look good, but our hearts sometimes can struggle, or oftentimes can struggle, or we can experience spiritual slippage one way or the other. We start looking over our shoulder. We start looking behind. We're not looking ahead. We're not looking to Jesus. We're looking at what others are doing, or we see the freedoms that some have, and we think, well, I want to take some of those freedoms, or we can become legalistic in our approach to life and to ministry. 
We all need to be reminded of these truths. It recognizes there's work to do and sometimes it's hard for the servant. He had been working hard all day. And then at the end of the day, he still, there was more work for him to do. Yes, he's serving. He's doing it willfully. You know, one of the things in our lives is that sometimes we work and our service becomes for the praise of people. It's about what others think. When we had been in ministry and in our church that we were part of in Alberta for 13 years, we had been there eight years, and, and the elders there were very kind and very gracious, and, and, and they gave me, they gave us as a family a six-month sabbatical, and, and they said, we just want you to rest. Uh, the church, God was doing some great things, and, and, and we are trusting him for, for greater things, but they said, we need a break. You need a break. You need to get recharged and refreshed, and, and, uh, and I was so thankful, and it was a blessing. But I want you to know those first four to six weeks were awful, terrible. Because they took my keys away. Because they knew that I would want to be sneaking back to the church, to the office, just to check up on things. And, and it was difficult because I really got alone with myself and I saw what was really defining me. It was the stage. It was needing to be up front. It wasn't Jesus that was at the center. It was me being at the center. And yes, preaching God's word, yes, leading people, seeing, seeing things happen in a good way, but my heart was wrong. It wasn't right. It was what was defining me. It, I was living for the approval and the praise of people, and soon it was gone. I was, oh, I was a basket case. I don't know how Charlotte put up with me, because then I was home. Just like, get out of here. Go, go do something, you know, and, and, and counseling and being in the word and just coming to grips with this, understanding that my true identity is found in Jesus Christ. He is the master, I am a servant. I am not the master. And people are not my servants. We can work towards the praise of people. We can get so worked up over different things. You see, the Pharisees, they were notorious for, for this kind of thing. You know, they wanted the praise of people. They wanted to be noticed and recognized. But here the servant in this story understood, I'm an unworthy servant. I'm only doing what is asked. I'm only doing my duty. Here's another thing. Gospel obedience is hard, and sometimes it won't make sense. Some of the things that happens in our lives, it, um, it, it just won't make sense. You can just even add that in there. Sometimes it's hard, and then just add dot, 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 and sometimes it doesn't make sense. I love the story in Luke chapter 5. Do yourself a favor. Read that um, story that Jesus tells, or not, that Luke tells about Jesus, how, how Jesus was, was wanting to preach, but the crowds were too big, and so he, he, he borrows Peter's boat. Peter hasn't been called yet. This was the calling of Peter, and he calls him, and, and, and he tells Peter, hey, take me out into the boat a uh, little ways here so I can preach uh, to the people on the shore, and so he does that, and, and uh, Peter had already been cleaning the nets. They had been fishing all night, and uh, so after Jesus finishes speaking, it's, it's midday, mid-afternoon, and Jesus says, let's go out and catch you some fish. And, I mean, Peter is like, this is not the time to be catching fish. We catch fish at night. And you don't go into the deep to catch fish. You stay in the shallower waters. That's where the fish are, especially at this time. And so, so I mean, here Jesus tells him, go out into the deep. Go and, and put your nets out. And like, this isn't the time to catch fish. But I love this statement. And, and it says, and Peter's response was, because you say so, I will. Because you say so. At, the, at your word, Jesus, I will do it. And what ended up happening? The nets were overflowing. It didn't make sense. It wasn't the right time. And yet, look at what ended up happening. Oh, may that be our response 
to the Holy Spirit, to God's word in our lives. Total commitment, total obedience, even at times when it doesn't make sense. And it's going to be hard or it's tough. I mean, the nets were already clean for crying out loud. We were ready for the next day. We want to go home and catch a nap before the next night. And God had other plans for him. Gospel obedience recognizes there's work to do, and sometimes it is hard. The church, as you know, has not been called, though. And the thing that we believe solidly here at Harvest is we're not called to be a cruise ship with all the amenities. We are a discipleship factory. We're a life-saving vessel. We are to go on search and rescue missions and to see lost people, struggling people, to find them and to to bring them in, to love them and and to see God do the work that only God can do in their lives. And and the last time I checked, I've never heard of a life-saving vessel, a search and rescue uh, vessel that has a whole deck devoted just to the amenities, you know, a spa and a nice fancy restaurant where you have to dress up. It's not a cruise ship. It does the work. That's what the church is called to do. There is work for us to do. And I'm not talking work without rest. Even in this passage here in Luke 17, we see that the servant had some downtime. It says that after the servant, after the master was fed, the servant had time to eat. He probably had the rest of the night off. After the meal was made, the servant was able to to eat, had the rest of the night off. And there's nothing wrong with downtime. We need to rest. We see that even with Jesus. There has to be a pace to our lives. We can't always be going, going, going. There's nothing wrong with some time off. There's nothing wrong with a vacation. Nothing wrong with traveling, going and enjoying the ski hill, enjoying the goodness of God, enjoying his creation. Rest is good. But so oftentimes, our culture now has taken that so far, and that's the ultimate. That's the goal. True rest, true strength is found in the word of God, in spending time in the presence of God. It's not going to come from an extra morning of sleeping in or or taking a week off and, and resting. Yes, that can recharge, but the ultimate way that we do this is daily through the word of God, through spending time in the presence of God. Remembering the gospel, remembering what he has done in our lives. And this grace towards us, this causes us to be available to him. He carried the cross willingly for you and for me. And our response to him carrying that cross is one of obedience. One of being a servant without complaining. And finally today we see that gospel obedience guarantees, guarantees that the rewards are out of this world. Gospel obedience guarantees the rewards are out of this world. God rewards obedience. He blesses obedience. And ultimately we know that rewards and blessings are literally out of this world. He'll be in heaven. He'll bless us in little ways and we get to see the fruit of of, of the labor and the fruit of our obedience. We, We get blessed but the ultimate obedience or the ultimate blessing will come when we see Jesus face to face. And we also know from God's word, and you can read about this in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story there, that one day the tables will be turned, and the master will once again serve the servant. An amazing story in Luke chapter 12, it says, truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service, that's speaking of the master, he will dress himself for service. 
he will put on the servant's clothes and have them recline at the table, and he will come and serve them. Folks, at the second coming of Jesus, the master will serve the, stu- the servants. He will dress himself for the service of those who have served him. He'll put the towel over his arm. He will serve his servants. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? One day, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator, the sustainer of the universe will place a towel again, once again, on his arm, and he will come and serve us. He did that already the night before he was betrayed. What did he do? He took the form of a servant, served his disciples. And I can guarantee you that our response to him will be of great humility and awe that the King of kings and Lord of lords would do that for us. Folks, this is the fruit of gospel obedience. As we stay on that track, it leads to life and to freedom. Not license or legalism that is destructive, but it leads us to the freedom and the joy that we are meant to live with here on this earth. And at the end of our lives, it will lead us home. It will lead us home. And where one day the master will serve us. This is the fruit of the gospel. This is the fruit of obedience. Let's pray together. Father, even now in light of your word, as we examine our lives, each one of us, we are called to duty, called to work for you. And Lord, to confess that oftentimes it's our wants and our needs and our desires that are first and foremost in our lives. And even now, Lord, as we get ready to remember the ultimate way that Jesus served us by coming to this earth, by dying on a cross for our sins, by taking the wrath that we so deserve, the wrath of God that is upon each person here on this earth. And the only way that that wrath can be avoided is through Jesus, through receiving this free gift. And from that, it becomes a joy. We see ourselves as unworthy, unfit, But because of Jesus, we are made worthy. We are made fit to receive the gospel, everlasting life. Lord, we just pause and we thank you and we worship you. I encourage you just as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, that you spend time reflecting on your own heart. What path are you on right now? Is it the gospel path, gospel obedience, God? Because you say so, I will. Are you fighting him in an area in your life? Are you struggling with path either to the left or to the right? It's dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Father, may we follow the truth of your word here today as we see This beautiful relationship, it's not an awful relationship at all. It's so giving. It's so tender. It's the heart of our God that we see here at work. And may we be like that servant. We're unworthy, but we're only doing what you've called us to do. May our lives be marked 
with this gospel obedience. In a few moments, the communion elements will be passed out and we'll wait to partake together. But Jesus, he, he set the example in how he served his disciples. And right now, what I'd like to do is we prepare our hearts and before we sing, I, you may want to keep your eyes closed or you may want to see these words up on the screen. I just would love to be able to wash the word of God over your lives right now as we read from God's word. I'm going to read these verses and you can just in an attitude of confession and repentance and surrender and, and awe our great God. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace. And on his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. John 13. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washed, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not, a, not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Then 1 John 4 says, We love because he first loved us. Philippians 2, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant, being born in human born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross as we sing let's examine our hearts